Hi, everybody, and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby. And this is episode 75, the first episode of 2019. If you want to get today's show notes, you can head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. RV Miles is also across social media. Just search RV Miles on your favorite platform. And Jason and I, along with Jack, Ethan, and Henry, continue our travels into 2019 on ourwanderingfamily.com. And we are also across social media. Just search Our Wandering Family. On today's episode, we are going to talk some listener questions, um, one of them being a, a big segment we're going to do on electrical systems and how much capacity do you need if you're getting battery power, you're getting solar, all that sort of stuff. Um, a, a listener wrote in and was really interested in getting some more information about that. So we're going to cover that. Plus, we've got some news, a new brain teaser and a whole lot more. But first, this episode is sponsored by L.L. Bean. This year, L.L. Bean is joining up with the National Park Foundation, the official nonprofit partner of the National Park Service, to help you find your happy place in an amazing system of more than 400 national parks, including historic and cultural sites, monuments, preserves, lakeshores, and seashores that dot the American landscape, many of which you'll find just a short trip from home. L.L. Bean is proud to be an official partner of the National Park Foundation, and you can discover your perfect day in a park or your slightly perfect day in a park because it may not be open at findyourpark.com. Yeah. I know. I just threw some major, <laughs> some, some major topical shade. We'll get right that. into that. That's our first news item of the week. Of course, the government shutdown is still going on. It's and, going on strong. Oh man, it is. Uh, this. In the, it to win it. One of the biggest problems with this shutdown, and we'll just sort of recap what we talked about last week is, of course, the national parks are being kept open as much as possible without most of the ranger staff. Uh, in fact, an anonymous ranger uh, posted something about Yosemite. You know, this is the busy season. This is when people go to Yosemite and Joshua Tree, and this is a, this is a good time for them to get out, uh, especially Joshua Tree, because, you know, it's hot during the summer. And, it's and hot Death as Hades. Valley and, so, and Joshua Tree doesn't have any concessionaires around to help out. You no, know, and we've spent enough time near and around Joshua Tree to know that for a fact. Nothing. There is nothing. Uh, but at Yosemite, there are some concessionaires, but there are, this ranger said there are 12 rangers working in the park, at least 12 law enforcement rangers. It sounds like maybe there's a few more that aren't law enforcement, but Yosemite is the size of Rhode Island. They're experiencing 4th of July level crowds. 200 cars an hour at the entrance stations and people are just trashing the place. They are the, you know, the bathrooms are closed. They're going outside, outside are, on the ground. They are doing number two on the <laughs> side of the road. And look, I just got to say people, what, what, what is wrong with you? We shouldn't need Rain, that's not the ranger's jobs. They are not there to yeah. ensure that you go to the bathroom in the appropriate place. If you are going to go to a park that is closed and you know it is closed, bring a Walmart bag. Bring a bag. You can you know, go over to actually just go to Walmart, go over to the camping section and buy 
a portable toilet yeah. that you can I go mean, in it's, it's and a, then and pack it out. It, and they're super cheap too. They it's are little, so cheap. Bag. They're so cheap. I mean, you don't even need to buy one. You could just get a Home Depot bucket. But really for most parks, this is the time to just avoid them. Uh, don't go it, if don't you don't go. have to. I mean, just let's just wait. And this story from this anonymous ranger, and I understand why this individual would want to stay anonymous. This is one of many stories that is coming out of the parks now. As we're entering, we're into a couple of weeks now. This is for us as we're recording this today. This is January 4th. So we're tomorrow will be two weeks. Yeah, so people are getting injured and somebody just broke their leg. Somebody just died. Now, that doesn't mean that that person wouldn't have died if the right. rangers were there. You can't blame it. Like you can't say, oh, well, <laughs> the park shut down. That's why that right. person died. But you have to wonder if there had been someone to give them trail information. If there had been the resources that the parks are designed to have to manage people as they are exploring the parks, would we have had a different situation? I don't know. You know, what I'm the most surprised by is just people, people are being crazy. They're being crazy in the parks. And I don't understand that. There are some heartwarming stories coming out of the parks. So uh, for instance, at Joshua Tree, there is a, a brigade of veterans, mostly younger veterans who have come together to just be a cleaning crew. I mean, they're they're cleaning out restrooms, emptying trash, Bless uh, those doing all people. that sort of stuff. Bless them as you know, as sort of a team, because uh, Joshua Tree is overrun by there are people that are off road driving, there are people that are camping where they're not supposed to be. It just seems like California has lost its ever loving mind. <laughs> it does. And someone had posted in the. Facebook group, the America's National Parks Facebook group, they had posted one of these articles about what is happening in California. And everyone was, you know, everyone was angry and they were making disparaging comments. And I just felt like I had to jump in and say, look, you know, I read these articles too and I become angry and I become sad. But you know what else? I also become, I have a strong desire to want to go do something. If you read these things and you are angry about them, take that anger and that frustration and turn it into something positive. If you're by a park that is open, there are meetups being organized to go and make positive presence known. If you practice leave no trace, go into the park and practice it. Don't let it be just those individuals who go willy nilly because all of a sudden they're like, well, I'm not I'm not being babysat by a ranger. I can just do whatever I want. We'll go into the park and be the opposite of that and do what you can if you can, if you're close by, you know, and if you can't just be a voice of support for those who are, because there are some people who are going there and they are cleaning up some nasty bathrooms and I tip my hat to them. I'm never a fan of blaming an entire state for anything. Right. Well, you I know there are a lot of people living there. And look, people, California, when I said California's lost its mind, I do well, want to say I don't mean. That's what the person said in the, yeah. that post. I mean, this is the winter in, in, the, right. in most of the country. People, we could be talking about this at the Great Smoky Mountains right. if this had been you know, June there. or something. So this is the busy time. So it's a real big challenge there. And, you know, we support the rangers that are out of work all the government employees that are out of work and and waiting for that next paycheck and the ones who are working who also are waiting waiting. i think a lot of people don't understand that the ones that are still working will get paid but they're not getting paid right those 12 rangers that are in yosemite right now are not drawing their you know weekly or bi-weekly paycheck um i think that 
you know, another suggestion that someone had brought up was to contact the partnering not-for-profit organization of a park near you. You know, Joshua Tree has one. Yosemite, I think, has more than one. Contact them and see what you can do. Uh, The same out, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park, uh, Big Bend, any of those parks that are open down into Florida, the Everglades. is another one that is having lots of problems. And the thing, the thing you should realize too, is that if you have plans to go to one of these places and you keep, you, you know, you've found out that they're open, you need to know that things are changing constantly. Campgrounds are getting shut down left and right because they're just getting trashed out. But now some parks are getting shut down. Sequoia and Kings Canyon are shut down. Parks where there's no snow removal are getting shut down because there's nobody to pay for it or do it. Parks like Yellowstone, where you've got a lot of concessionaires, those concessionaires are all pitching in and doing the snow removal, doing the trash removal, doing all that sort of stuff. And I think some states are pitching in, like in Utah. Yes, most of the Utah yeah. parks are open. Not all of them, but But most some of them. are. And so, you know, people are trying to pick up where they can to do what they can. And of course, I hope that this is going across in other areas of our government as well. Obviously, we don't we follow the parks pretty closely given what we do for a living. But I do hope that this sort of spirit of pitching in is happening across our government as we continue to wait. And, uh, you know, maybe we say this, we've said this now for two episodes. Hopefully when we come back next week, we will be talking about something different. All right, let's move on to the next item on our list. Not another sunny piece of news, is it? (laughs) Well, not this week, the first of the year, not a good day, not a good time for news. Camping World had some issues last year. Some Camping World had, <laughs> Camping World had a lot of issues well, last year. I tell you what, they the RV industry is going from looking really good to it's looking a little bit scary. All the stock prices on all the major companies are way down, and Camping World is one of the worst. It's dropped lost three quarters of its value. Camping world is year. so bad. They're being sued and they're being because sued of it. partially because that some of their executives made some statements that may have inflated their, uh, their stock Allegedly, value at the yes. beginning of the year. So there's a big class action lawsuit going on with that. And a, a few executives ended up resigning. Well, camping world just announced and we reported on this and you can read the whole story on the website that they are restructuring their whole executive staff. They're moving everybody around, giving everybody different positions. You know um, that when you hear the word restructuring, yeah. that's code word for we in trouble. Like that is that is flat out code word for the the Titanic, the iceberg is coming and we are trying to turn the ship. They're trying to write the ship. Yeah. Now the big the big thing though that caught my eye is they are saying that they are going to reduce inventory and this is a quote drastically reduce inventory meaning their their retail rv inventory meaning they're going to start closing down the camping worlds or these those camping worlds already that are open are going to shrink in their availability meaning they're going to sell off as they sell rvs they're not going to be buying as many new ones to replace them i don't understand what they plan on doing with themselves meaning there are going to be less models available on a lot, meaning yes, some camping worlds will be closing. Some did last year, and uh, the CEO said they won't hesitate to close more if they suspect that they will underperform. They want to put more focus on the Good Sam brand, which they own, which is a lot of high profit margin products 
like roadside assistance, extended warranties, they get a high margin on those, not as high a margin as they get on an RV that sits on the lot and may not sell in time for it to lose some value. I'll tell you what, I'm going to make a prediction here. By the end of 2020, Camping World is going to cease being an RV dealership and they're going to fully move into retail, good Sam type arenas because the word, well, here, let me just, let me give why I say this. First off, Camping World is a trigger word for people. They will lose their minds on social media if you even suggest buying an RV from Camping World. The majority of those who are vocal are so disgusted with what they claim to be poor service, poor quality from Camping World. Now, some of that anger is misplaced because Camping World's not building the RV they're having trouble with. Yeah, and they're the only national brand. So you're not hearing about people's bad experiences. No, you're not hearing it from like the bad experience at Jim and Dale's like RV shop. But here's the thing that publicity, that is negative publicity. And it has hung around the neck of Camping World. It really has. For whether, several yeah, years. Whether it's true or not. Whether it's it true or not. Really, it is really dragging on them. And I think. And I think this is part of what this I, is part of it. That they're reducing because they are struggling to break free from that image. And I don't know. They're that not they, doing anything. They're not. No. They should focus on fixing that image. That's not <laughs> they, what they're doing. But when you have brands like Good Salmon, you say they're, you know, that they're quietly maybe pushing more of their, you know, eggs into that basket. Well, let's just move all our eggs over there and let's just get out of it completely. Yeah. I mean, the sad thing is, is, you know, not only are they selling off dealerships and cutting inventory, but they're also buying a lot of these mom and pop dealerships or buying a lot of independent dealerships. And if those dealerships fail, then they're going to close them. They're, they're limiting the market for other dealerships out there, which is, which is unfortunate. Plus the new Gander outdoors stores. And I think this is kind of what you're getting at too. I think this is more where they're going. The new Gander outdoor stores, which are supposed to be competition for Outdoor World REI, REI. Active Endeavors. They're they're selling RVs at some of those now. And they plan on doing more. Not a ton. It'll be like it's it, you know, sort of like when you walk into a Cabela's and they sell boats. There's not a lot of boats, but they sell them. That's that's kind of the same deal. Although these Gander stores aren't anywhere near as big as Cabela's, but that I think that's what they're looking at. More of the small retail one shop stop or one stop shop i should say really why don't they focus on hey let's make an amazing repair shop the best the best rv repair in the country is camping world everybody knows that that's what it should be that's what their goal should be everybody knows go to camping world for the best repair. I don't think they're interested in that though. And I think it's, it's crazy not, because the, there's so much business to be had in RV repair, repair because the, the, the manufacturers are putting I, out product that isn't quality controlled. Look, we're not busy enough, so I'm going to need you to go get certified <laughs> and then we're going to open up like the RV miles repair shop. Here's, here's another thing I was thinking about, you know, camping world for the longest time, they've been like, uh, like the car max of the RV. Right. Yeah. But they just don't have a wee see Badibo. Like they don't, they don't have that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they don't have, they don't have the it. There's they don't no have, big attraction. There's yet. no wee see Badibo. There's no, well, and their branding is, isn't, I mean, you drive down the highway and we see billboards that just say camping. World. <laughs> 
They don't even say. <laughs> and you're like, where? Where is the camping world? How many? It just says a billboard. It just, it's the, you know, the blue background. Yes. I know. Letters. I know exactly what it is because I've looked at you and been like. Camping world. Next exit. Maybe the exit is after. It the exit? Is it? Is it a mirage? What like, do is... they sell at Camping World? Because this is when I, before I was an RVer, I always wanted to go. Oh, I see these signs for Camping World. I want to go buy some camping gear, and then you go there and they just sell RV stuff. And I think people I think go... they're gonna. I mean, this is so not... just put RV sales on your sign. I... Like it's so a, pic- a picture of an RV. If I say the right words, or if I if I will it enough. If I am the right kind of camper, does a camping world just magically appear on the hill once I pass that sign? And then I know I'm meant to go to a camping world. But if I'm not, I don't see it and I keep going. It's like the North Pole or something. It's very strange. And I am going to stick. I'm sticking with my prediction that by the end of 2020, camping world will cease to exist as a national brand RV dealer right, we'll see you might be able to go get two we'll or three cute I'm skeptical little about I, that but we'll see i i'm gonna stick to it at least until the end of 2019 but here's here's the long way around the bend right okay <laughs> here's the thing the industry has seen a 30 percent or more reduction in dealership orders and wholesale orders that's rvs bought from the manufacturer shipped to the dealer right here we have camping world the largest RV retailer by far, by very far. Now Camping World says, hey, we're not gonna be, we're not gonna be buying as many. We're gonna be drastically cutting back on the RVs we order to put on these lots. Yeah, step back because the bubble is about to explode. It it really could. 2019 is gonna be a really interesting year for the RV industry. All right, that's that's enough of of Debbie Downer news. <sighs> let's uh, let's talk about Happy uh, 2019 everyone. Abby wrote an article that we want you to all check out for the Family Motor Coach Association which we're proud members of. Yes. Why don't you tell them a little bit about oh, what you wrote? Absolutely. Let me. So <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate FMCA's mission which is to become a more inclusive organization and for those of us in the schooly community we can know that it can sometimes feel like we are standing on the outside of the RV world looking in. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions. So we were thrilled to be able to bring bus life more upfront, I should say, into the FMCA community. So we wrote an article or I wrote an article this week that just talks about how we ended up with Wanderbus and what we did. Um and how Jason shoved YouTube videos in my face for <laughs> relentlessly put bus conversion videos on the television at night after the kids were in bed. Uh, and that's really what it is. It's a great article. I'm happy to have it out with them. And we'll link to it in the show notes if you want to check it out yourself. Or you can pop over to one of our, our Wondering Family social media pages to see it there, too. We also have the latest edition of the America's National Parks podcast out. It's a thriller. The, it's a mystery. Abby calls it the Dateline NBC I edition. Do. It's a look if Dateline NBC is listening, I am available for all voiceover work. I can <laughs> I can absolutely do your 700th episode on the Bobbits. So just let me know. Uh, <laughs> I'm so ready for the promos for the Bobbits. Yes, it needs to, to go be away. Under Needs to go away. To gone. So we can actually let our kids watch television again. Right. I mean, we're sitting watching. It was the Titans last night, right? Well, that, and we were watching America's Funny Some Videos, oh, and we yeah. did a little who, promo for. Who 
can I talk to the scheduling or who is doing the programming at NBC that's like, look, we're going to run America. Oh, no, that's ABC. ABC, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, listen, ABC, you can call me too. Okay. I didn't realize that you had the ballots. I apologize. But let me go back and just say who over at ABC is doing the programming and is like, hey, look, it's time to run America's Funniest Home Videos. We need to put, we got to sell some stuff in here. You know what would be great? The Bobbits. I mean, let's put that in there. And they literally That's like say a family movie. in the oh promo what Lorena Bobbitt yes. did to <laughs> no see, there's no husband. yeah there's no teaser no they get right to the the heart of it uh so that has nothing to do with America <laughs> anyway <laughs> it's not about the Bobbits this, this week. podcast is uh it was a big national story uh maybe five six years ago 2012, 2012 2014 uh, of a hiker that had had died uh while hiking with her husband in Rocky Mountain National Park. And suffice it to say, I don't want to give any of the no, details away. away. There's a lot more to the story. Yeah, it just wasn't like a hike in an accident. Uh, so please take a listen to that because I think you'll really enjoy it. Finally. But not in, like I feel weird saying we think you're really going to enjoy it. It's a tragedy. Okay, and well, I, uh, you know, it's weird to. You will re- be engaged by it. Okay. <laughs> you it, it will hold your. It will probably hold your attention more than this Bobbitt's movie is going to. So, you know, there you go. Finally, we want to mention some uh, upcoming travel events that uh, that you might be able to check out or see us at. We're going to be at the Chicago Travel and Adventure Show in Chicago. In, nice. Uh, yes. In that's, Chicago. How I wrote it, that's how I wrote it here. The <laughs> Chicago Travel Adventure Show in Chicago. in Chicago. The Chicago Travel and Adventure Show. This is not an RV show. This is a show a travel trade show and uh, Rick Steves will be there. I'm Samantha very excited. Brown will be there. I the, see if Rick Steves will adopt the me. founder of Frommers, Mrs. Frommer. Mrs. Frommer will be there. Will be there doing some lectures and things like and that. Jason and Abby of the RV miles network will also <laughs> <We> will. be there. <laughs> uh, so we may run into you there if you yeah. happen to be around. We also, we think we're going to be hitting the, the Mid America RV Show in Kansas City. We think we're going to be able to thread that needle. Yeah. Uh, so we also hope to see you there. And if you're interested in going to any RV show, make sure to check out our article on all the upcoming RV shows that we'll also link to in the show notes. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. And we'll come back and we'll have last week's brain teaser. Be right back. We're back with the answer to last week's brain teaser sponsored by Thrive Market. On a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone, Thrive Market offers thousands of the best-selling organic foods and natural products at up to 30% below retail prices. Foods for specialty diets can be hard to find when traveling, so for your next camping trip, skip the store and get all your gluten-free, paleo, and if you're doing Whole30, this is where you want to go. You'll have them delivered right to your home just before you hitch up or have it delivered to your campground. That is an absolute option. And because Thrive Market wants to make healthy living a part of your outdoor lifestyle, RV Miles listeners can save 25% off the already marked down prices along with a free 30-day trial. 
To get started, head over to thrivemarket.com slash rvmiles or check out the link in the show notes. That's thrivemarket.com slash rvmiles to get 25% off plus a free 30-day trial to start your journey towards a healthier life at home or out on the road. Last week's brain teaser went like this and y'all got this one. Yeah, this was, <laughs> wow, this was a no-brainer. Even I got it and I wasn't okay, even. Well, I might not have known had I not read the answer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. What kind, and maybe some of our listeners didn't get it, so let's not talk down to them, okay? Wow, wow. My apologies. Listeners, I was just... I'm on your side. She's not. Clearly. Go ahead, go ahead and read that brain teaser there, Mr. Epperson. What kind of coat can only be put on when wet? Paint. A coat of paint. A coat of paint. And our winners this week are Liz and John Stevenson from Ohio. Liz and John couldn't decide who they, the winner was going to be. Together, yeah, they're going to so. share it. They're going to they're going to share the one T-shirt. It's very sweet. Yeah, I'm sorry. You only get one. <laughs> it's very sweet. Please send us a picture of that. And you'll have a chance to win at the end of this show. All right. Our tip of the week this week. We uh, we talked to you a few months ago about a new gym membership company called local fit and what this is is a organization kind of works a little bit like movie pass if you've heard of movie pass um when movie pass was movie actually pass cool was cool and, yeah and working and right and not when they decided failing. to be like here's 20 dollars, you get to see three movies a month so this is for uh, for traveling people it is a gym membership that essentially allows you to get access at gyms all over the country while you're traveling you cannot use it while you're near your home so that's how they pay for it but you can only use it while you're at gyms a certain number of miles from your home location so it's great for people that travel heavily like like us and i assume a lot of our who travel heavily and like to eat heavily as well (laughs) and you know this is the time of the year when people go buy gym memberships and then they don't use them for the rest of the year but you should use this one and they have such a great deal going on right now which is why we have made them our tip of the week so yeah so they are 14.95 a month is the cost of local fit first of all what gym membership can you get for for such a low price 14.95 a month get you access to 5,000 health clubs across the country while traveling. You have to be at least 35 miles away from home. They're offering the first month free. So you can actually just do it and try it out. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you go to all these gyms and you, you, you pay for a year membership and you get locked into that. I mean, how great it would it be to go just try it out for a three, 30 day free trial. Right. Decide so, if you like it. And then, and I think sometimes too, cause you know, they will offer some gyms always will offer like a one week or two week free trial. I will tell you right now, I need a whole month to decide yeah. whether or not I'm going to be able to commit to you because I can go gung ho for the first month, like week and feel like I'm, wow, I'm really at this. It's that third week after, like after the honeymoon of going to the gym starts to wear off and real life kind of starts to set in and your mind is like, I don't want to go. Yeah. That's when I really need to know whether or not I'm going to commit to this gym. Now, here's here's the the trick, though. Like I said, you have to be 35 miles away from home. If you're a traveler, you get this card and you you show it at these gyms and 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 they let you in essentially. And it, it's it's lots of it's like most of the gyms out there. The one little hitch for travelers is that you can only you can go up to 30 days a month 
but you can only go to the same gym five days in a month. Uh, so if you are hanging out somewhere for right. a long period of time, that may not work. Right. Now, for us who tend to move every between one and two weeks, that would make perfect sense for us. There's, you know, no way our life is going to let us get to the gym five days in a row. Yeah. But I could see where that's a little bit of a hiccup for people who are much more stationary, work camping, things like that. Yeah. 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 It wouldn't be the greatest for that. But anyway, the offers out there will link to that in the show notes as well. Okay. Next up, we're going to cover a listener question. But first, this segment is sponsored by GoSun. When you're out camping in the wild, miles from the nearest propane or electrical hookup, every bit of energy and fuel matters. With GoSun solar cookers, you can cook full, hot meals without propane, without electricity, without wood. GoSun cookers trap the sun's rays to steam, bake, roast, and boil, even when it's cloudy, using special reflectors to grab the available heat and trap it in the borosilicate glass tube where food cooks at up to 550 degrees. Three different models offer the perfect combination of portability and cooking capacity. Visit gosun.co, that's .co, and use the code RVMILES for 15% off all GoSun solar cookers. Support this small Cincinnati-based company looking to change the way the world cooks with free energy and no harmful smoke or emissions. That's gosun.co and use the code RVMILES for 15% off. And Jason just got his Go Sun Go well, the other day. We mentioned it last week, didn't we? Uh, we mentioned, I think, that it yeah. was on its way well, or okay. that it had just arrived. Now I have it. Yes. Now I have to use it. Yes. And, you know, we're finally going to have a day tomorrow where we actually want to be outside. Yeah. <laughs> you actually want but to I be out But I have opened it up and looked at it. And it's really, really yeah. well built. It's really nice, small, compact I'm excited for it. Product. It's going to be yeah. great when we're out on the trails. We're going to do... Um, we're going to do a little video on it. So look for that too on the RV Miles YouTube page. All right. We have a listener question that we wanted to, that a listener wrote us, Christian wrote us a really interesting uh, and very lovely email. Very about, kind. Uh, very kind to us and uh, had some questions. And we sort of wanted to respond to this one on the show because we think it's interesting for anybody that might have kids on the road. Yeah, I think this is the reason why of all the questions he asked, I pulled this one out because I realized that a lot of times we talk on a personal level about ourselves as adults and what life is like on the road for adults and what the transition was like. But I think sometimes we forget that for some individuals, for some families, this is also a transition for your children. So Christian asks, we have two kids, ages five and seven, and I'm wondering what advice you have for helping prepare them for this transition, a transition to going full time. Yeah. Do you have any advice for helping them downsize and choosing what to bring advice for the children for the children? Great. And my, my response to him was, I wish I had some sage advice for you, <laughs> but I don't. And one of the things though, that I, I talked a little bit about is that looking back now, um, you know, for Ethan, who is now eight, but at the time he was six, every time something left the house, it was very upsetting to him, like tears flowing, even when uh, we sold our Ikea wardrobe that, you know, it was just where we put our winter coats. It so was, just stuff that you wouldn't think you had any attachment yeah, to. At it all. was very upsetting to him. And, you know, at that time, our philosophy was, was that we wanted to be transparent. We wanted to show the kids that these things, if we weren't putting them in storage, that they were going to a good home or they were being 
donated and would be given a second life, you know, and that didn't that didn't really resonate with our kids at the time. And what I have come to realize is that while I was, you know, kind of going through my own transitions of knowing it was okay to let go of these things, that they are things for someone like Ethan, that was the only home he had known. You know, he came home to that apartment. Those things were in that apartment for most of his life. That was the space in which he felt safe. And he equated those objects with comfort and safety and his family. And so I think that as those things were leaving, he began to feel disconnected. He became almost, I think, his crying and his his fearfulness was that he was afraid that the warmth and comfort that he knew was leaving every time something left. And, you know, I did, I did say, look, there were times when the kids went to bed and things magically went out onto the landing that they didn't know about. And someone came and picked them up and they, they never knew. And 90% of this stuff was like toys that they, they didn't use ever. And 90% of this stuff they never asked about or noticed they didn't and they didn't ask about it or notice it when it disappeared and I felt really guilty about that at the time like oh I'm I'm hiding this from them I'm I'm being secretive but I think now I'm glad that I did that I'm glad that we did that because I think we were actually kind of sheltering Ethan a little bit from even more of the the trauma of of life changing. It was a big enough change as it was already. And so, you know, involve your kids in the transition as much as they can be involved in the transition, but do not feel bad if you have to make some decisions that happen while they're sleeping or while they're at school on their behalf, because ultimately what they're looking for and seeking during all of this is the reassurance that life as they know it is going to continue. You know, everybody moves, right? But everybody moves with their stuff. It's very different to move and take nothing with you or lock it up in a storage unit. That's a very different experience. And, you know, our kids in particular are children that can struggle with transitions. So it's okay. And I had said this, it's okay if you have to put things out on the landing and they don't know if they ask, be honest, but if they don't ask, you don't, you know, they're no, they're no the wiser for it. It's also okay to bring stuff that is, that is truly special and useful and good. There is a reason we have 30 stuffed animals on the bus with us. <laughs> stuffed animals are super important to all of our kids, yes. but especially Ethan. There's a reason so, why I have 45 to 50 <laughs> books on the bus with us because books are important right. to me. And and we were able to bring that stuff as long as you pare down the other stuff. So it's right. really all about, you know, our kids don't have very many toys, but they have fun stuff to do. They have, you know, stuffed animals they can have in the bed and mm-hmm. sleep with. Um, Jack has a whole bunch of musical instrument stuff. And, uh, and we're you know, because he loves it all. Yeah. It's kind of a pain for us to carry a guitar around. Right. But we do. Uh, and uh, you you find ways to make it work. But there are there are things, you know, if it's a toy that they play with every once in a while, they don't they don't need it. 
unless it's special to them. Yeah. And I think anytime that you can involve them in the setting up of the space, the decorating or the putting away of things of the transitioning, the items that they are choosing into the space or bring them to the space. If you know they have requested more than you believe can be brought, think about taking them to the RV, letting them, you know, let's take a look at where you're going to be. And what do you think we can put in here? Like, where do you see all of your stuff going and involve them in that so that they can kind of start to get like spatial awareness, you know? And look, if you end up having to put all of their toys in a big giant box and that big giant box comes in the RV with you and they just get that big box with them for a few weeks, you will start to notice that that box becomes less and less important, Yeah. but they just need it. If they really do need it to make that transition, just try if you can to be okay with having that big box of toys around for a little bit. Another thing is if you, if you're going to be homeschooling or if you already homeschool, I mean, clearly you're probably going to be homeschooling. Yeah. I'm going to guess that some form homeschooling's happened. <laughs> like, Don't start right away. No, no, we've talked. Take, take yeah. some good time. Even if you already do it, if you're already in a routine and you've already been doing it for a while, still, Get out on the road, stop the school stuff for a little while. And just be a family. And just be a family. Yeah, go on vacation. Lear- you, you have to learn to full time together. You are all going to be learning a new lifestyle. You're going to be learning different bathroom routines, different cooking routines, what it's like to move and, and have a different experience at a different campground. It, it takes a little bit to get used to. Yeah, the transition to full time living doesn't stop the minute you get into the RV for your kids. They, you know, you're transitioning with them from their sticks and bricks into the RV. And then you're transitioning with them in the RV into this new life. So really be gentle with yourselves and with them. And uh, it's an, it's rewarding. And I know that Christian and his family are going to have the most amazing time. They seem to be so incredibly positive and thrilled about this and big adventure that they're going on. Um, but the biggest advice as one who has been there, done that and did not, I think looking back, do it as well as I would have liked to is just to be gentle with yourselves and realize that these are really small people who have a harder time making sense of the world than you do. And I can tell you, sometimes it's really hard for me to make sense of the world. So I only imagine what it's like for an eight year old or a five year old. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, get them excited they're going to have fun. Oh yeah. No, go make sure to plan some cool stuff right away. Get that museum membership in your, in your hometown so that you can just hit all the museums because that's what we do. We are museum people. So on that note, Christian, thank you so much for emailing us. If anyone else would like to email us, this is a community and we want to talk about what, what you guys are interested in. You can find us at editor at rvmiles.com. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about all things electrical. Battery, solar, generator. Oh, my. Oh, my. (laughs) We'll be right back.
are back, or should I say, I am back. Abby, we do we do take breaks here when we when we say we're taking a break, and sometimes they're a lot longer than the short little break that you hear. And Abby isn't feeling well, so I and it's late at night. I'm going to cover the rest of the podcast. So, so the wheels are off. We're throwing out the rundown and doing whatever we want. Uh, we're going to talk about power specifically we're going to talk about auxiliary power the power that you use when you're not plugged in whether it's battery or generator or solar and this came from another listener question really was confused about what amount of power they needed for their rv whether it be solar or their generator when they're looking to buy those things so we're going to get into all that but first this segment is sponsored by National Indoor RV Centers. National Indoor RV Centers make RV travel simple, fun, and hassle-free, offering convenient indoor storage with round-the-clock security and on-site maintenance and repair that can handle paint and body, oil changes, brakes, tires, glass upholstery, slide work, and generator work. They even accept factory and extended warranties. Valley services pull your RV in and out of storage, check tire pressure, Charge and check battery fluids. Fill your fresh water and cool down your fridge before departure. They even have on-site propane and dump stations, and their wash and detail crews can clean your RV inside and out. You can find National Indoor RV Centers in Atlanta, Dallas, and Phoenix. And at their new Las Vegas facility, they're offering RV Miles listeners three months free with code RVMILES3. That's all one word, RVMILES3, the number three. That's three months free at their new Las Vegas location. Space is extremely limited, so visit VegasIndoorRVStorage.com to get started today. We'll link to this in the show notes. All right, let's talk about auxiliary power. Now, we're not talking about being at the campground and plugged in. We're talking about the power that you need to run your RV, whatever you're going to do inside your RV when you're boondocking, when you're traveling down the road, uh, when you're in your driveway and you don't want to plug into your garage, wherever you might be, some people run entirely on off the grid power. That's certainly possible this day and age. It all depends on how much you want to use, not how much you need to use, right? This is where all the confusion happens, I think. When new RVers get out there and they're trying to figure out what generator to buy, uh, what what solar array to get? Or do we need to cover the roof of our RV and solar panels? Is a couple enough? How many watts of solar do we need? A lot of people will tell you, okay, now you need to go do an energy audit. You need to uh, plug in something that's going to tell you how much energy you use while you're in your RV when you're plugged in. And that's going to tell you how much power that you need to pull from batteries a day. Well, I don't buy into that at all. And the reason being is when you're not plugged in, you can conserve power. Now, of course, if you want to go out and be able to do absolutely everything that you did when you were plugged in, you're going to have to get a massive system or a very large generator to be able to run two air conditioners, uh, your blow dryer, your microwave, your induction plate, all that sort of stuff. But most of us are not planning to do that. In fact, 
you can camp with no power at all. We actually did it quite a bit when we started out. Uh, you know, if we were overnighting somewhere without power before we got our batteries installed, since we built our own RV uh, and it wasn't quite finished when we moved into it, there there were several nights where we we camped entirely without power. And that's absolutely possible. And for the vast majority of RVers, the battery that comes with your RV is enough to deal with the very basic things like turning the lights on, running your slides out, that sort of stuff. But let's talk about what you can do to expand your power needs and what it's going to take to do that, right? So the first thing we need to discuss is AC versus DC power, right? So when you're plugged in, you're getting AC power. That's the same power that's in your household if you own a house uh, or is in any household. You're getting AC power in a large quantity that you are able to use for all kinds of different stuff. So if you're plugged in at a campground into 30 amp power, you're getting 30 amps of electricity. And I'm not going to get into all the math of the amps and everything, but it's, it's really convenient to know how many amps something is. And there are lots of charts to find online. I'll put a chart of how many amps different things in an RV take up in the show notes. 30 amps is what most smaller RVs take, most older RVs take, and it's going to give you a basic amount of power to do most of the stuff that you need to do. Our RV is set up for 30 amp and it does everything we need to do every now and then we have to avoid running three things at once, like the microwave, the toaster oven, and, and the air conditioner. 50 amp power actually brings you in a hundred amps of electricity because it gives you two lines of 50 amp power. So most 50 amp RVs can handle pretty much anything. A lot of them have two or three air conditioners, dryers, all kinds of stuff. You are not going to get that kind of power out of solar. You're not going to get that kind of power even out of a generator. You might get close, but even out of a generator, you're not going to get that amount of power. So no matter who you are, you are going to need to figure out how to conserve a bit. So the other type of power is DC power, which comes from your batteries. Whether you have solar or you're just using the charge that's in your batteries, DC power is the same. It always runs through your batteries. And DC power provides power to your lights. It provides power to the fan in your furnace. And it might run your TV if you have a DC TV. Uh, it might run other sorts of electronics than your RV. But the other thing it can run is an inverter and an inverter is, and it's different than a converter that we'll talk about in a minute, but inverter turns DC power into AC power. And that will allow you to run things like your air conditioner, anything you plug into the wall, uh, your blow dryer, anything like that off of battery power. Okay. With me so far, I know this stuff gets really dense and I promise I'm not going to wade too much further into the fray. But the next thing you need to know about is a converter, not an inverter, a converter. So the converter, most, not all RVs have an inverter, right? A lot of people buy them aftermarket. They don't all come with inverters. Mostly the high end ones do a converter. They all come with a converter is a charger. Basically it takes the AC power that comes in from the campground pedestal and charges your batteries. 
So every RV comes with a battery. And if, by the way, you don't have a battery and you're just running your lights and stuff off a converter, say you're parked somewhere full time, put a battery in, even if it's a terrible battery, because you're really doing some damage to your converter. Anyway, the converter charges your batteries and then you can run all the DC stuff off your batteries. So now we have the electrical supply at the pedestal that can run the converter and charge your batteries, that can run the AC stuff. What happens if we're not plugged in? Well, we can run off just the battery. So when we're running off just the battery, we can run our lights, we can run all that DC stuff. And we, if we have an inverter, we can run AC stuff off the inverter, depending on the size of the inverter. Some inverters are very small, some are very large and can run bigger things. If we're using too much stuff to run off of battery power, we need more power than the battery power in our battery bank that we have. Then we got to run off something else. Usually for most campers, that's going to be a generator. So a lot of campers will use a generator at, at times when they have high demand for electricity. So we may use our generator, for instance, when we're cooking. Uh, we usually won't run it all day long, all night long to, for the air conditioner or anything like that. You can. Some people do. Some people have needs. Some people have medical needs that they need air conditioning, all sorts of stuff. But we don't run our generator for air conditioning or heat. We really use it when we need to run the microwave, when we need to run the toaster oven, or when we just need to charge up the batteries. Right. So what size generator do you need? Well, it depends on a lot of things. If if your RV, if you've got a big motorhome and it comes with a generator, usually it's coming with a generator that's big enough to power your air conditioner. And that's the big thing. That's the hard thing to run because air conditioners take the most amount of power and they have a large startup wattage that they require. So when they turn on, they take drastically more wattage than they do when they run. So if you want to be able to run an RV air conditioner off a generator, generally you're going to want a, a generator that gives you 3000 starting watts. And usually that's going to provide about 2600 running watts. So your air conditioner is going to take up about 2000 watts of that when it's running and you'll have not a lot of room left over for your other stuff. So if you really want an air conditioner, that's kind of the minimum and you can go bigger from there. You can also get two generators and tie them together. So the generators that I recommend that I think most people will recommend if you're not getting an installed RV generator, like an Onan is the popular brand. Most people will recommend that you get an inverter generator. Some people call them suitcase generators. And this is not the same type of inverter that is in the RV. So ignore that doesn't do the same thing, uh, but it kind of works with the same technology. The main thing is an inverter generator is a quieter generator than a standard generator. And they vary in speed. So if you get a standard construction generator, what they call a frame generator, they look like they have a frame on the outside of them. That is going to run at one speed, full speed and it's gonna take the full amount of gasoline the entire time. If you get an inverter generator, it runs at different speeds based on the demand of power. So it's gonna use less gasoline when it's not running at full capacity. It's also going to be much, much, much less quieter. Most people will say 
it's just rude to have a construction generator or frame generator in a campground and that you should not be planning on using one in a campground. And if you're boondocking with other people around, it might be rude to use there as well. So most people are going to get one of these inverter generators. Honda by far the most popular brand. So like I said, 3000 watt generator is generally what you want to get. Or if you need more power than that, you can put two together. You can also get bigger generators they have. Honda makes other, other sizes, so does Yamaha as well. The bigger they are though, the thing you need to know, these things are super, super heavy. So you really wanna be careful if you can't lift a lot, or if you're gonna be having to lift this up and down out of your truck or what have you, uh, it, it, can, it, can take a lot, uh, it can take a lot out of you to move these things around after they get up to a certain size. Some people just leave them in the back of their truck if they're towing a trailer and it's not as big of a deal. So what you normally do with a generator like this is just plug right into it. You start it up, you plug right into it and run it. Some of them have remote starts uh, or remote stops. So you don't have to get out of the, uh, the RV to, to deal with that sort of stuff. Uh, and there's a lot of maintenance and stuff like that involved. And I think we'll get into that in a, on a future episode because I'm about to tear our generator apart and do a heck of a lot of maintenance on it. So that's one type of auxiliary power, a, a generator. The other type is solar power. And solar power is becoming more and more popular with RVers. Lots of RVs are coming prepped solar ready, which generally just means they've got some cables ran for, for you to put solar panels on the roof. Solar panels essentially charge the batteries. It's an entirely different thing than a generator. You don't get generally anywhere near as much power out of solar panels. Solar panels really just charge your batteries. Now, your battery bank could be small, could be, you know, one battery, two batteries, could be massive. You could have 10 batteries. You could have a big lithium battery system. I think we talked about batteries on a past episode, but you can look up the different types of batteries. The basic battery, a wet cell battery, is going to be the cheapest. And then they go up from there. You get the AGM batteries and the lithium batteries, which are like 10 times the cost. But your battery bank is really the heart of your off-grid power system. So really, if you're looking for a place to spend the money, it's going to be in your battery bank. And how big of a battery bank do you need? Well, batteries are rated in amp hours right? If you get a deep cycle battery, it's rated in amp hours. If the battery you have is not rated in amp hours, it's not the right type of battery. It's a starting battery. The starting batteries that go in the front of your car that start your engine are meant to deliver a ton of power really quickly. A deep cycle battery is meant to gradually deliver power and hold a charge for a long time. You really have to have deep cycle batteries for an RV off-grid power system. Amp hours are how long something can run. So if I know that my furnace, for instance, the fan in my furnace runs off five amps on DC power, I know then that that fan is going to take five amps an hour off my battery. If I have a hundred amp hour battery, I know that in five hours, that my furnace 
is going to deplete that battery by a quarter, right? Five out, five amp hours times five hours. That's 25 amp hours. My battery is a hundred amp hours. It's going to deplete it by a quarter. So you can go through all the stuff you use and decide, Hey, what do I want to run at the same time? How long do I want to run it? It's a tedious process and there are worksheets out there that you can use and all that sort of stuff. But really the, the ideal thing is you want to really spend the money on a battery system and get a serious amount of, of battery power. I think if you're looking to, to be boondocking a decent amount and you're going to conserve your power, but you want to have it available, you want to have 400 amp hours worth of batteries. If you really want a serious amount of power, you want to be able to do a lot, uh, you're going to want more like 800 amp hours worth of batteries. And some people have crazy systems with, you know, 1800 amp hours worth of batteries. And they're able to, at that point, with that much energy stored, perhaps run an air conditioner. But you're just not going to be able to run big things like an air conditioner off your battery system. You may be able to run a microwave for, you know, a minute or two to heat up some water uh, or to heat some food up, anything like that. And it's actually a really efficient way to heat up water instead of uh, using like a hot plate or anything like that if you have to do it off electric. So that's possible. But air conditioning without just the massive system is the one thing that is just really not possible off of a battery system, right? So like I said before, solar system is going to charge your batteries and it does that through a charge controller. Don't need to get into all the details of that, but you're going to have a charge controller that feeds into your batteries from your solar power. And when it's sunny outside, your batteries get topped off. Now you're going to see articles out that are going to say, okay, you've done this energy audit. Now, you know, you need to have this much solar power to top off all your batteries. Well, you don't necessarily need to fill your batteries every single day and you don't necessarily need to run your batteries for three days without sun. You can charge your battery with your generator. If you have one, if they're, if you're going a week without sun, you charge your battery up with a generator. So again, the most important thing is to put that money in that battery system, and then you can expand the solar system. The other reason for that is it's not as easy to expand batteries. You really want your batteries to be the same age. So if you have two batteries now and you want to buy two batteries next year, well, those second two batteries that you buy next year aren't going to be working at their full efficiency because the batteries they are hooked up with are older. So really you want to spend that money on that battery bank and then you can buy a smaller solar system and expand that over time because that can expand. Most people are going to tell you that you should match the wattage of your solar system somewhere around the amp hours of your batteries to be at sort of the best capacity. And you really don't need to go over that. So say I have 400 amp hours of batteries. I'll be looking for 400 watts worth of solar panel. Simple as that. If I get more than 400 watts of solar panel, I might be overdoing it. My batteries will be getting full, you know, midday and I won't need that additional power. And it, my, I would have been better served to buy an additional battery than an additional solar panel. 
If I have 800 amp hours of batteries, I might have 800 amp hours of solar panels. That's generally the rule of thumb people use. We're going to get into that more on a future episode. We're going to have a solar installer on who's going to give us some advice on really figuring out the size of our system. But hopefully that's all a good overview of how auxiliary power works a little bit, how your generator works, how your solar system works and what you can do with that. The main thing I just want to get across again is you do not need to have need being the operative word, a massive generator or a massive solar system. Those are wants. And if you want them, awesome. But you can conserve. People have been going without solar power for a long time. You can conserve energy, especially with LED lights that take so little electricity. You can conserve energy and run quite a bit. We, we offer two batteries. We can easily run uh, a couple nights with uh, all our lights, with our fantastic fan in the ceiling, uh, running the TV now and then, stuff like that. Easily, uh, we can do that on our 200 amp hours and batteries. So what I suggest, if you're new to this, if you're just getting out there, don't buy anything. Go travel. Figure a few things out. Spend a little bit of money on on campgrounds and then get your feet wet and boondocking and then start to figure out how long you can go without power. It's just like conserving water. How long can you go on this amount of power and then decide, okay, this amount of power is not working for us. What do we need to do? Do we need to double it? Do we need to triple it? How much further can we go? So that's my best advice for battery and auxiliary power. And again, the generator, you can, you can get by with very little auxiliary power because you can just pop that thing on whenever. Of course, there are places where it's inconvenient and, and you don't want to annoy your neighbors or the wildlife or the experience. So generators can be really annoying to a lot of people. So it is very nice to have solar, but not necessary. And really think about your system before just going out there and buying a bunch of solar panels. All right. I hope I didn't bore you to tears with that and without, without the comic relief of Miss Abigail sitting next to me. We will absolutely be back next week. Let's wrap this episode up with a new brain teaser. My great-grandmother was exceptional from first to last. She was the first baby born in the state in 1851. She was almost the first centenarian in the family, but she died in 1950, one day before her 100th birthday. The cause of her death was not unusual. Thousands of people died of the same cause that year, and also in previous years. Her death was exceptional because she was the last person ever to die from this cause in the United States. What was the cause of death? We'll have the answer to that and a whole lot more on next week's episode of RV Miles. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Make sure to follow us on social media and check us out every Sunday at eight o'clock on RV chat. That's hashtag RV chat on Twitter. If you happen to be a Twitter user, we hope to see you there and we hope to see you here next week and every week on the RV miles podcast. Keep logging those RV miles, everybody. Bye. Bye.